Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Now I'm in the chair and I can only assume that this is as strange for you as it is for me. If I have another life, I would never do things like this. The big news in summer entertaining is to do it all at the beach. Yes, we can. I am happy that you have had the courage to put it directly. <laughs> I'm Andy Lemasugu. And I'm Beth Ann Goldman. Welcome to the Presentation Fix podcast, episode three. Now, once again, Beth, Anne, and I have teamed up to empower you with the knowledge and skills to make an impact every time you speak or present in public. Today's show is all about the importance of storytelling as a presenter's tool. I recently spoke at a university where a student told me that it was such a shame that Nigerian men were physical abusers like the father character in my novel. I told him that I had just read a novel called American Psycho. And... <laughs> and that it was such a shame that young Americans were serial murderers. (laughs) I'm just so excited about the case study that we're going to be drawing on today, the danger of a single story, which is delivered by a really inspiring Nigerian woman by the name of Chimamanda Adichie. And really what has captivated me most certainly with her particular presentation is what an excellent example she delivers in terms of a presentation that is both powerful, it effectively entertains, it educates, and it empowers the audience. Basically a triple threat that I know many presenters out there would like to be able to achieve, um, you know, entertaining, educating, empowering, and I'm sure with a little help and lots of practice, they can, can't they? It is actually quite a large topic, and it's actually incredibly important and maybe a little bit challenging to master, but, you know, it is possible to conquer this art, and there's a lot to learn about it, so we'll keep coming back to this topic every now and again. And I'm really excited about how we've decided to kick things off in terms of tackling the subject today. That's right. We have a special guest in the building. Yeah, my good friend, uh, Musa Kalenga, his career in business spans something like 12 years and includes building a company from zero to something like 6.5 million rands in turnover. Quite something for a young man. He, of course, consulted to foreign governments and inhabited executive roles within leading multinational firms like Nedbank. Um, He's also created innovative digital monitoring products for both the FMCG and banking industries. Right now, he's an Africa client partner at Facebook, as well as head of brand for the Interactive Advertising Bureau, the IAB, South Africa. What's up, Musa? Good morning, Andile. How are you, sir? I'm chillers, man. We're really glad to have you here, you know. And um, I know that a great deal of your career has been spent telling stories, whether it's for brands, for businesses, countries even. Is there perhaps an example of storytelling that stands out in your mind throughout your career? Perhaps a, a, a brand that just got it right, someone who stood up at a podium and just nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are quite a few. If, if I was to just think back, probably the most impactful that I've seen in, in a corporate environment um, would have to be um, the turnaround of the NetBank business by Tom Boardman, um, which to these day to this day is still referenced um, as one of the greatest turnarounds in South African business history. Um, Tom Boardman himself being uh, at the, at some stage um, the, the the leader of the ship at NetBank, and having gone through what they went through, I think it was around about the 80s, they had to change culture, they had to change their business, and they had to regear themselves to survive. Um, and part of what he kind of he brought to the business at that point was creating a story around the principle of moving from good to great. 
they then started to redesign their, their organizational culture, so their systems um, around being able to move to go on this journey from being good to great. And then secondly, and most importantly, I think there was a quite a negative stereotype at some stage around uh, bankers in general, but Nedbankers specifically, um, as being quite stuck up, quite hoity-toity, and quite inaccessible as individuals. Um, and part of his turnaround through the story around becoming more accessible, more down-to-earth, um, probably still lives within the organization today. Having worked there, um, I saw that being kind of implemented firsthand. There was a challenge with that story. I think they, you know, it, it, they took a long time to implement it fully, um, and I think they lost a bit of time in terms of evolving the story because it's been a while since Tom has left, um, but it still gets referenced, um, you know, as as kind of the corporate story of success when it comes to storytelling, um, which I think speaks to the probably the gravitas of how great the story was. But uh, I think it's a missed opportunity to try and evolve the story to something that is new, probably more accessible to a younger uh, younger employee market and uh, and something that will be a little more relevant. But that's one example. So tell me, though, can you pin down perhaps a day he stood up to speak and there was a mindset change in the room or is it more complex than that? So I think it's a little bit more complex than that. And in fact, it wasn't from any interaction with him, strangely enough, that I think that this is one of the best stories. Um, it was through a process that we went through as an executive team. Um, it's called Leading for Deep Green, um, which essentially is in a way uh, a way weekend where you go and you essentially reflect on business and yourself. Um, and why this the penny dropped for me is to have the foresight to understand that that level of reflection um, from a senior perspective would be important and integral to the success of the business um, meant that at some point, um, Tom Boardman had the, you know, the visionary and the foresight to be able to sit down um, and put that into place as something that needed to be achieved. And as I said, that's only a component of what was done. But for me, that's where the penny drops around how he was able to design a story around the turnaround, which was journey from good to great, and then empower and enable um, not only staff members, but senior members of the organization to be able to live that and implement it. So I think that's a very, as I said, a good example of the the way corporates have been able to take a story um, and use that to be able to impact business, which is essentially what they're trying to do. Um, But it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I, I've probably heard Boardman, uh, Tom Boardman speak um, by watching him on, on, on clips, not necessarily in person, but everybody that did interact with him personally um, said that he was quite a quite an inspiring individual as far as his energy on stage, his charisma, and his ability to be quite uh, quite frank with what the situation was. So I think that was the combination of what, for me, um, constituted a great story, but that also drove, drove impact in a business. I remember meeting Tom Boardman actually for in, in a previous life, <laughs> uh, presenting a TV show um, on, on small business and I got the opportunity to interview him. For those who don't know, the, the chain Boardman's actually named after him. It's something he founded as well. Um, interesting, Beth, uh, listening to Musa speak, uh, that storytelling involves a lot more than just sort of getting onto stage to speak. There's a lot of uh, important foresight and preparation that needs to go into crafting a great story as well as delivering it. Absolutely. And first of all, Musa, thank you for, you know, raising the topic of Tom Boardman, because I don't think I can really afford to take some credit. But certainly in his um, early days, when he headed one of his previous financial businesses before taking on that role at NetBank, him and his team went through our strategic business presentations program. No ways. (laughs) Ways. (laughs) Well, there you go, right? (laughs) 
But um, the challenge that the average business executive faces is that it's been so ingrained in us to convey our everyday expertise in a factual way, where today business audiences just don't have the time or the tolerance for that. You know, if we want facts, it's at our fingertips, where we can just Google and get those facts. So if we want to hook and hold the attention of the audience, we need to find a more adventurous, a more creative way of doing that and differentiating ourselves from the rest of the Rat Pack. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, once again, understanding the landscape in, in a place like South Africa, um, where you've got probably close to 90%, if not more, um, of senior executives and CEOs being people that were uh, CAs and accountants, um, it just kind of tells you the kind of information that probably for them had been traditionally consumed. So when a leader or a person within that space emerges with a very different style of storytelling, number one, it cuts straight through um, and people can start understanding it. Number two, um, as Beth mentioned, you no longer speak into facts and numbers, you know, appealing to a kind of a greater sense. Um, but that doesn't mean that that contradicts or goes against the facts and numbers. It actually complements it in such a way that you can rally people. Um, so facts and numbers, I think, add impetus and it adds kind of context and rationale, but it doesn't necessarily build, um, you know, an energy around doing something or changing something or achieving something, which stories do a really great job of, 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 of doing. Well, you currently work for a firm that I consider easily one of the most important platforms for storytelling in our time if you think about it facebook i mean where else do if not on facebook do we all tell our stories how important is storytelling in your current role look i think um I suppose the the saying that comes to mind is that with, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Um, and Facebook being a place where a lot of people trust us with, number one, their stories, number two, what is most important to them, that obviously has to be one of the key things that drives our business as far as how we design what we what we do. Um, and you will see from our safety and security protocols that is embedded. Um, secondly to that is that our platform should continue to engage and enable conversations. One of the things that we're trying to do um, or get better at doing um, is trying to put out content that creates the right kind of conversations that leads to the right stories being developed and also leads to the right stories being told. Um, traditionally, as, as we all know, you know, a lot of people have complained about the kind of stories that get published in, in mainstream media relating to Africa and emerging markets. And um, as you said, Facebook as a platform can really help to democratize that process of storytelling. Um, fortunately, we're starting to see some really responsible um, and some really relevant stories um, coming out of people that are not you know, mainstream publishers that are not mainstream broadcasters. Um, but those stories are starting to speak to the heart and their stories are starting to drive kind of impact. Um, and I think from a Facebook perspective, um, our job is to try and find those people that are, you know, as I said, not media publishers and not um, necessarily have an agenda, um, but give them enough tools to continue to tell those stories, try and provide enough support for them um, to garner the kind of uh, um, the kind of engagement that will be able to drive change in our continent. So as I said, there's a huge amount of responsibility, um, but um, I think it's ingrained in our DNA as a business. Just out of interest sake, who stands out for you in your world in terms of one of the better contemporary speaker stroke storytellers? And why? <laughs> and why? There's there's actually a few. There's, there's there's a lot actually. But if I'm to think about it, um, the, the the four that come to mind, um, one of them is is lesser known but an amazing poet and storyteller. Um, his name is Shane Kozian. Um, Kozian spelled K-O-Y-C-Z-A-N. So I also might be pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, but if you have a look on YouTube, he's an amazing poet. And what he's able to do, which I've which I've just got so much respect for, is he's able to take his own life experiences and express them in a way using kind of the spoken word, um, but also audio and interactive uh, um, graphics to be able to tell a story 
um, about something as simple about going th- uh, about uh, something as simple as going through high school being teased about being a fat kid um, as an example um, he then also speaks ar- about um, this concept of trolls and how trolls once were these things that lived under bridges and f- you know we all were scared of trolls and he brings that into the context of how trolls operate in the modern t- in the modern world as in how technology then so he's got a very interesting way of using words to try and bridge gaps and trying to create stories that I think are very emotional. If you listen to what he's saying, extremely emotional, but very entertaining. Um, so if you watch and you listen to his clips online, you'll, you'll get a strong sense of that. Um, the second person I think that's really doing, I think slightly more lighthearted, um, is a guy called Tolu Ogunmefen. Um, Nigerian storyteller does 15 to 30 second stories and it's all comedy based and he does these skits um, where he touches on such such simple in- insight about being African um, and he's able to do so in a way that kind of is lighthearted, but at the same time makes you think um, he's got a phenomenal following he's, uh, his blog is called Don't Jealous Me and he's got uh, a handle as well on Twitter and also on Instagram um, and he's just become really good at um, kind of those lighthearted 15 seconders that just make you really excited about being African and being okay with it um, um, you know, and I think he's done a great job of that. Um, and the last person that I think would be good to reference um, is Tim Story um, as a pastor. Um, we'll forgive the pun. <laughs> yeah, we'll forgive the pun. Um, and and I think having having seen him a few times, having listened to him, you know, he does what a lot of pastors don't do. So he chooses one scripture as an example. So he'll focus on two or three lines, um, and he'll spend two or three hours on two or three lines. And it's it sounds kind of impossible, but the way he wraps the story in different contexts and different angles, um, but it's all centered around this one, you know, this one line scripture. And he just gives so much context and so much layering to that one scripture, um, which I think is so different. Um, a lot of pastors think that they, you know, they pack a sermon with lots and lots of scriptures and you know they'll get a better result so i think he's kind of his focus from that perspective as a speaker and as an orator for me is something that i, I quite look up to um so i think those three are great examples then obviously the long-form storyteller may may rest in peace is chinewa chebe um who recently passed on um and i think he was very bold in a time where you know he didn't have to be um you know he was very bold in a time where it was easy to kind of fall in line and do what was what was uh, what was traditional and contemporary and uh, accepted and i think from that perspective the long format of storytelling i think he's a great person to learn from. With that said, are there any secrets you can share with us? Uh, They won't then, of course, be secrets anymore. But, you know, what are your top three or four techniques that you adopt in the lead up or during a major presentation that you may be delivering? There's uh, there's a few things, but I think top of mind, and some of them I'm trying to get better at. Um, and I think the first is having some intelligence about the audience you're going to speak to. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes not always possible, but as much as I can, I try and figure out who's going to be in the room. Um, why that is important is obviously, you know, there's a standard narrative or there's a few narratives which I use when I speak. Um, and being able to do a little bit of work specifically around an audience, you know, is, is that much better so that's the first thing that i'll suggest and as i said i'm not doing it well but i'm getting better at it um oh please i heard you i heard this man speak the other day and uh, quite interesting that you bring up the whole african storytelling thing uh because again it's, it's something you have in common with chimamanda adichie's you know worldview this idea that you take quite a lot of responsibility on your shoulders rightfully so to be part of um, telling new stories for Africa. And so I think you're doing pretty well. <laughs> That's very kind of you, Andile. We, 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 we're trying. We're trying to get better at it, you know? So we're working 
hard on uh, on on refining it. Um, the second thing I think more practically is when you're on stage. I find three friends in the audience: um, one on my far left, one on my far right, and one down the middle. Um, and trying to distribute my energy across the audience is quite important. And those three friends, you know, nameless faces, but people that kind of you can look at and they give you that nod, and you feel you know that you're on the right track. Um, and that's just a practical way, as sort of distributing the attention across the audience, but also just making sure that you check in with you know faces in the audience. That's a very you know practical tool. Um, and I think last but not least, um, one that I'm trying to bake in as kind of my unique touch is that, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm talking about, be it a hardcore business presentation or something lighthearted, I always try and leave the audience with some level of personal insight about me. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, a quirky fact about my son or it's something that they would never have thought, you know, you know that I'd done or been involved with or whatever it may have been, but leave them with something that they didn't know about me. Because I believe that each and every presentation, you need to leave the audience with something new. Um, and sometimes that something new may come from the content that you have, but I always make the assumption that they've probably seen what I've you know what I'm presenting somewhere or in some form um, but they probably don't know something about me um, so that's kind of something I always try and leave them with is a little bit of an insight that if, if anything they'll go okay look I learned something about this person that I wouldn't have known. I just love that third tip in particular that you've shared with us because the personal factor today can be a major differentiator is just making a, a connection a human on a human level with the audience you know something that everybody can relate to so kudos to you. Uh, Q Andile telling everybody that when I first met Musa, he he had cornrows and, and he and he danced hip hop. No ways. I promise you, he he had cornrows and he danced hip hop. He he was um, he was interning for the very talented and very gifted uh, Tebe Kalafeng, and we met in the context of him doing a lot of media projects for him. He was nothing like the Musa I see today. <laughs> Is that so? Have I changed that much? <laughs> Like, yeah, you have matured. Like some say, perhaps a good wine. <laughs> I love that I've matured. I think I need to get the cornrows again. <laughs> I don't know that your wife or your, or your son is going to appreciate that too much. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. I need to picture the scene. Perhaps not. Perhaps we just move on and pretend it never happened. <laughs> All right. So anyway, listen. So we referenced Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's um, TED Talk at the top of this of this podcast. And... We're going to play a clip from it just to contextualize in the off chance uh, Beyonce hasn't gotten to you and you (laughs) because Beyonce referenced her on her latest album and and made her famous, which I'm embarrassed to say if it wasn't for Beyonce putting her on her album and and, and putting the spotlight on this on this young lady. uh, Many of us wouldn't know her. Let's listen and then we'll talk about some of the lessons we can learn in terms of her specific storytelling style, you know, just everything to do with what makes it work. Take a listen. Because all I had read were books in which characters were foreign, I had become convinced that books, by their very nature, had to have foreigners in them and had to be about things with which I could not personally identify. Now, things changed when I discovered African books. There weren't many of them available, and they weren't quite as easy to find as the foreign books, but because of writers like Chinua Achebe and Kamara Laye, I went through a mental shift in my perception of literature. I realized that people like me, girls with skin the color of chocolate, whose kinky hair could not form ponytails, could also exist in literature. I started to write about things I recognized. Now, I loved those American and British books I read. They stirred my imagination. They opened up new worlds for me. But the unintended consequence was that I did not know that people like me could exist in literature. 
So what the discovery of African writers did for me was this. It saved me from having a single story of what books are. All right, there we go. So what do you make of that, Beth? Probably what is the most gripping about her storytelling methodology is the tonality that she uses. You know, you can have the best story or the most interesting story in the world, but if your tone, if your vocal expression doesn't take the audience on that journey and into that world that she's trying to create, that story is completely lost. And yeah, there's a certain earnesty to it. And I mean... She makes a point by framing her experiences and uh, using a style some call the nested loop storytelling technique, where there's layer upon layer of different stories, but that all sort of speak to a, a point. Is that something you'd use in your talks or do you use perhaps different techniques, like perhaps lead people or maybe stun them up front? I, I don't know. What do, what, what do you do, Musa? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I, you know, having gone through the, the the technical terms for what the what the storytelling um, methods are called. I think I do use nested looping quite a bit, and I think the reason why I use nested looping quite a bit is that I, I made the decision a few years ago, like psychologically, that I wouldn't be the storyteller or the presenter or the person that stood up to speak, um, that would be over reliant on on slides and on on numbers, right? And if you make that decision, um, you have to find something else to rely on, and often that is kind of can only be your story. Um, so the layers that you know that I try and put into the way I speak um, obviously need to be leading in the sense that they you know they point in one direction um, and what I really liked about uh, about uh, Chimamande is that uh, her story you know very much like a lot of other people that use nested loops is entirely and completely unapologetic right and you know it's tricky because when you're speaking to audiences you know often there's probably going to be people that are be, that are smarter than you that know more that are you know a lot of stuff um, and nested looping is a great technique um, that incorporates number one your own experiences in an honest in an unapologetic way but number two allows you to keep driving home the point so I think she does that extremely well and in my speaking um, I find that I, I use that technique quite a bit only because as I said I don't want to rely on on, on slides numbers facts and what's on what's on screen we, we kind of went meta with this one because she's using stories to make a point about our need as Africans to tell good stories <laughs> which is great you know I thought I was pretty clever yeah you know how do you think social media, take Twitter, for example, where a communicator is limited to using 140 characters and hopefully will be trying to put across something quite pertinent and poignant. How, so how do you think social me- media or the digital world has influenced how we communicate and story tell in that particular arena? I think... You know, aside from the fact that it's it's created an entirely new world of opportunity, um, and needless to say, a world that is you know increasingly complex and misunderstood, you know, by older generations, um, that don't seem to be native to some of the things that need to happen. Um, my experience has been, you know, deciding or engaging on social media or social platforms should probably start with a deep point of reflection. Um, and why I say that is that, you know, if you're going to have something to say, which you're going to be broadcasting exactly like you would do on a radio station, um, you need to have applied your, you know, your mind as much as possible. Our favorite term, apply your mind. Uh, he uses that on WhatsApp <laughs> all the time. <laughs> So, so I think before before engaging on on social media, especially as execs and senior leaders, um, think very cl- very clearly about what it is that you're trying to achieve there. Um, number two, 
try and be thoughtful about the fact that you are not one dimensional. Um, and as a result, you probably need to consider social media platforms as various different ways of expressing your different dimensions. Um, you know, there's nothing quite as sad as seeing someone who is used to being on Facebook where they've got the liberty of saying everything, trying to do exactly the same thing on Twitter and they're putting like three, four, five tweets to <laughs> land the same point um, without understanding that that's not how the platform works. So understand your own dimensions as an individual, as a leader, um, and try and use the platforms to play to those dimensional strengths. Um, a, a, you know, an Instagram as an example, you know, we haven't yet seen any kind of shining light business leaders yet. Um, although if you look at someone like Gareth Pond, who's kind of uh, Africa's biggest Instagrammer, um, and the principles he uses um, around uh, Instagram, I mean, he says, he says he simplifies it and he's got a very simple and kind of clear way of articulating what he's seeing on how he interprets the world. And he just reapplies those same principles every time he takes a photo. Now, if you were to look at that in the context of someone who's in business or running a big company, um, what what role does Instagram play in their view? Maybe it means that every morning I get up at four o'clock and I have a point of reflection. Maybe I should just put up, you know, a kind of a quick statement around something that I'm seeing or I'm doing and add some context to that, which will be a very different interpretation on, on Facebook and a very different interpretation on, on Twitter. So so I think those are the things that, you, that they definitely need to be aware of, um, that, you know, those platforms, number one, if used properly, can really do an amazing job of building profile. If used incorrectly, can have the you know opposite and devastating effect unfortunately and if i can just take the twitter scenario and move it into the dreaded powerpoint arena what i love about twitter and i make reference to whenever i'm coaching my clients um, around trying to create impactful and relevant powerpoint presentations if they committed to using powerpoint is you know, being able to say something really pertinent in 140 and less characters. And what's the take home when we relate this back to PowerPoint is eliminate, eliminate and eliminate. You know, the purpose of PowerPoint is not to photocopy your textbook, you know, onto a slide. So I, I believe that the digital arena can really, if we can embrace it, can really benefit the everyday boardroom presenter if they can pull on some of those pertinent take-home tips. So minimalist is basically the new black. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, I think the the mental discipline of taking you know a paragraph and summarizing that in 140 characters, um, I think it's taken for granted. But that takes a lot of a lot of skill and a lot of understanding, and also capturing exactly the essence and the spirit of what you're trying to say, um, or being able to take your entire company's vision and capture it in a meme. Um, you know, those things are seemingly random, but that's going to be the way people consume information, able to um, able to actually move them and inspire them to do things, especially the young our, our workforce is getting so increasingly so I think the discipline is more important um, but it comes with you know it comes with practice like all things and I think you know the sooner that senior level executives embrace it the better they'll make them the quicker they'll make the mistakes the better they'll learn etc 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 so it's not a game of kind of trying to steer clear of it it's you know using those platforms to better t- tell your story and being able to manage your risk as you do so so I think it's a, it's a good thing and what I've found as a digital storyteller myself on various platforms, uh, I found that millennials often get uh, something wrong. The, the fact that millennials tend to feel that the, if you get great equipment, you'll be able to sort of appeal. Mm-hmm. 
on these platforms. Whereas, again, speaking to what we're talking about today, it's stories that appeal. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the most popular videos and audio uh, and, and pictures online weren't taken with the most fanciest equipment. They usually just appeal to something uh, innately interesting and authentic. Essentially, the story's right. And I think that's you know part of what I try and do in, in you know a lot of my keynotes is I try and get a better understanding of the intersection of kind of humanity and technology because I think that becomes the sweet spot. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of times people think technology should lead and technology will solve all the problems, and I fundamentally believe that's incorrect. I think technology should be it should be slave to humanity in the sense that we've obviously got lots of problems here in Africa. We've got lots of things we need to solve for, um, and the understanding of that is more important than the understanding of technology. Um, and the best thing to do is that if you if you focus as a, as an executive or a senior leader um, on being able to solve those human problems and then wrap yourself with the people who understand the technology, um, you're in a better place. So it doesn't mean everybody needs to go out there and become you know adept in you know how to you know use programming or how to learn how to develop things um that's you know that's not everybody's skill but identifying the problems is probably more important and the people that can technically solve it are a different different breed shout out to koja buffo you, you almost sounded just like him in, in <laughs> the last few seconds no he loves that whole uh that whole vibe about uh, technology and humanity like coming together you guys have that in common uh, listen here's the truth about storytelling folks you probably won't become an award-winning storyteller overnight. Let's face it. Uh, you <laughs> so that you know that uh, that Oscar for for screenwriting, the next Rocky movie. I don't know that that's that's you, buddy. But <laughs> there there are things that you can do to start using storytelling to make your presentations richer, and that's why in our next segment. Uh, Beth will be telling us something really practical and simple that you can start to use in your presentation regimen. We're calling it Your Presentation Fix. Well, I'd like to share with you an experience I had just this last week with a team of engineers that I was coaching for a, a major presentation that they were delivering the next day. And I also had the privilege of sitting through that presentation as well. So I was able to see the immediate response from the decision makers in their audience. Now, what was interesting about this particular presentation was this is a team of engineers from a, a very well-known um, mining organization and they needed to convince the decision makers in their audience to invest in a mechanical part that would cost half of what the existing mechanical part um, that they were using. And you might think to yourself, but surely that would be a walk in the park because with the big cost-saving initiatives that all these big organizations are going through now, surely that would just be a natural buy-in. But of course, the fear exists of, you know, if it's not a device that is originating from the original manufacturer, there's this big fear that it's going to break down and what would be the knock-on effect if the mine needed to come to a standstill due to the breakdown of that part. So, of course, this particular team had done a lot of research and there was no ways they were going to propose something that wasn't going to do the job and do it well. But why I'm relating this as my tip for the day is that they opened their presentation with a humorous but real clip of a blind wine tasting test that was taking place at a university campus. And ultimately, the outcome of this particular scenario was that the blind tasters were rating the cheapest wine as... The, the, as the better ones. You know, the cheapest wine as the best on the palate. And so so what was the response? So they, did they, they play the clip and say something more or did it just so, hit home? Yeah, so no, they used that as an opener. So that obviously... So what is the tip? The tip is that they opened in a really creative and 
different way. I mean, where in the mining industry would you have that type of a clip to open up a presentation? So to open with creativity, but most importantly, to open in a thought-provoking way. But then the key is to keep the thread and the link of the key message that came out of that particular video and link it through to what their value proposition was that they were actually making. And ultimately, they closed the presentation linking back to that particular video. And they got an immediate um, buy-in from all and sundry that was included in that audience. So it was a huge success. But, you know, the, the other side of the story is if you try that kind of technique and you don't position it well, the whole presentation can fall flat. So, you know, if you're going to do something creative, you want to make sure that you're really going to have a winning presentation and a winning message. Well, as a start, certainly, because of these digital platforms and, and all the media we have at our disposal, what I'm hearing you say is the easiest way to ease yourself into the storytelling thing is to harness other people's stories. At least ones that work really well in helping you demonstrate or express some of the fundamental values or ideas that you're trying to put across in your presentation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think coming back to Beth's point, the important thing is that there's ways to grab attention that sometimes could feel gimmicky, but... If your presentation itself is, is solid, um, then, then that attention-grabbing mechanism actually complements the presentation. There's nothing worse um, than a presentation that's just based on like, you know, flying things that come in and out and gimmicky things that you know, really don't amount to anything. Um, and it makes me think of a presentation we once did trying to raise sponsorship, in fact, for a, um, for a deaf community. Um, and we went and we spoke to a couple of corporates, and the first kind of two minutes of the presentation we mimed. And throughout the presentation, there was really interesting things happening on the slide, but because they couldn't hear what we're saying, they couldn't connect the message to what was there. Um, and that for us landed the important point that I think there's a whole community of people um, that go through this every day and they need support. So it could have come up, uh, come out as very gimmicky if the presentation that followed, exactly as, as Beth said, um, didn't deliver impact. But um, that's the way that you use um, you know, tips like that to be able to deliver impact. Yeah, and you make a really good point because the, the essence of their particular message was that expensive doesn't necessarily mean better quality. And it was integral to them getting the buy-in that they could demonstrate very clearly. So it's not that they could get away with not demonstrating substance. So they did need to include the research the trial runs that, that they had done, you know, and all the elements that would ensure that the decision that was going to be made would be the right decision. And we've all sat in or sat through presentations where storytelling is used for storytelling's sake. So this pretty okay presentation and somewhere in the middle, someone found this very snazzy YouTube clip and just decides to throw it in and go, well, that should make it more fun. That's not what we're talking about, is it? Definitely not. So this particular clip was very well thought through and it was included with a great deal of strategy. Fantastic. Well, there's your presentation fix, folks. Use it, don't lose it. Uh, but whatever you do, please tell us about it because we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what sort of results you're getting out of using uh, the tips that uh, Beth provides every time we do the show. Do let us know what you think of the show in general as well. Or if there's a topic or issue you'd specifically like us to discuss on the show, you can give us a shout on Twitter at Beth Galv or at Masugu Andile. You can also get our attention by using the hashtag 
Presentation Fixer or email us at info at Otherwise, it's a huge thank you to our special guest, Musa Kalenga. It's been a pleasure getting to know you better and we really appreciate having you joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon again. Indeed, man. And until next time, folks, it's goodbye from me, Andile Masugo. And me, Bethan Golvin. Cheers. Cheers. Shortly after he published my first novel, I went to a TV station in Lagos to do an interview. And a woman who walked there as a messenger came up to me and said, I really liked your novel. I didn't like the ending. Now you must write a sequel, and this is what will happen. (laughs) 